of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation, but early this morning when God was still dealing with me with the text, um, he took me in a slightly different direction, and the topic for this morning is simply, let it go. Once again, the topic for this morning, if you choose to so write that down, is let it go. How many of you know that in order to receive something, you have to have an open hand? So if you're still holding on to some things that are stopping you from getting in the way of God's favor, you need to let it go. You can preach on that right there. (laughs) But before we go any further, um, I would like to um, open with a word of prayer for those who would like to turn to that first text that she will read. It will come from 2 Corinthians. I know that our emphasis is chapter 6, verse 2. However, we will start in chapter 5, verse 16, and we will work our way up to chapter 6, verse 2. Um, But again, before we read, we will pray. Heavenly Father, right now I come to you. This thing is so bigger than me, I can't explain. It's, it's, hmm. These are your people, and you know what you want to say. So I pray right now that you would remove me out of the way. I pray that anything left in the message that is of David, anything that is just what I wanted to say, a point that I wanted to get across, I pray that you would just squash it right now. I rebuke Satan right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. I take the captives, I take the thoughts in my head captive, Lord, that right now that you would just saturate me so much with your word that it will be a transitory glory lot, that as they see me, that they will actually see you and that you will just be pouring your words into me that I may pour them out into your people, Lord God. This is my prayer. I ask that you would just use me as a vessel to be worked out to your people. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. May we stand for the reading of the word. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, Then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Chapter 6. We then, as workers, together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. 
Behold, now is the day of salvation. You may be seated. The, one of the most interesting things that I find about Paul, the author of this text, um, the writer of 2 Corinthians to this church, is his humility in his ministry. As he writes to these different churches, as he visits these different places, as he teaches on these different things, he makes it very known that this really isn't about him. He's very interested in people knowing that this isn't an agenda that he's trying to push. This isn't anything about Paul. This really isn't anything that he was really interested in if you really look at his life story. But actually, he talks earlier in 2 Corinthians about he's not interested in peddling the word of God. It's not about what he's getting out of it. It's not about a financial thing. As a matter of fact, he so often talks about how his life in ministry, how his, how his will to spread the word of God has actually got him in bondage. It's actually got him in chains. It's actually gotten him in prison. This is a hard life. This is a hard cross that Christ has chosen him to bear. If you look at the story of Paul or then Saul, he really was never interested in being an apostle of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he worked against the church. He worked against people who would minister the word of God. He would actually persecute and put those people to death. But I say that he is a model Christian when he, you know, as he talks about this ministry of reconciliation, once you have been reconciled to God, you turn around and you work to get others to be reconciled unto him as well. I look at that and I think that he is the model one to exemplify this because though he did not know Christ, one day on the road to Damascus after meeting Christ and after seeing him and seeing him in all of his glory, immediately he turned his life around. He did a 180 and immediately he sought to become an apostle. Immediately he sought to become a disciple and he had to share with others this Christ that had made himself known to him. Understand, Saul was going about his own way. He was doing his own thing. But because Christ decided to show himself to him, now that he has seen Christ, he says, I've got to tell the world about this man that I have seen. I have got to spread the good news. The news that I was trying to suppress, I have never now seen with my own eyes is the truth and now I have to tell the world that this man Jesus he lives this man Jesus he is the Messiah this man Jesus he did come to save you and you ought to give your life to him as well so that you may be reconciled to him now I see you sitting there and you really don't understand what this has to do with God's favor. But you have to understand that when Paul writes to these people, he has studied these people. He writes thematically. He writes with a theme in his speech because he looks at these churches, these people who are trying to be the body of Christ, but then he looks at what Christ says they ought to be. And if they don't match up, then he writes to them and say, my brothers and sisters, there are some things that you need to change. My brother Brothers and sisters, you say that you are the church, but Christ says this and you do that. So if you would but accept my ministry and align yourself up with the word of God, then you yourself will become closer to him. So when we talk about God's favor and he's writing to this church in second for Corinthians, what he's trying to say is there is this lifestyle that you want to live. There's this idea 
a favor that you've heard of. There's this idea of salvation that has been given to you. But my brothers and sisters, when I look at you, I wonder if you actually understand this thing called favor. I wonder if you actually understand what it is to be in the body of Christ. These people were still living out of an old covenant. They were still living living under Moses' law. But how many of you know that when Jesus came and once he died on the cross and he rose again because of his blood, we had a new covenant. No, I can't fulfill Moses' law, but I can stand under the blood of Jesus and that be the new covenant that allows me to get to heaven. And what he's saying is it's about time that you let go of the old covenant because the Messiah, the Emmanuel, the God with us has already come and it's time for you to accept him. So the reason I speak to you today in the same spirit of Paul, if I may, is because if we look at each other and if we look at the state of the church, if we spend a little time in the mirror, we have to wonder, do we ourselves understand what it is to live in God's favor? Did you know that before you can really live in God's favor, you have to be saved? And one thing that God showed me that really hurts my heart is there are some people that I believe think that they are saved, but really are not. And that really bothers Paul as well, because that's a dangerous place to be, to think that you're going to be caught up in the number, to think that everything is all right, to think that your life is in order, but really it's messed up, jacked up, out of line not in place with the things that God has said, not in place with the life that Jesus himself has lived. And so Paul writes to them and he says, he uses the words, I implore you. I implore you. You've got to get to know this man. You've got to spend time with this man so you can see the way that he walks, so you can see the way that he talks, that you align yourself with him. Favor happens when you walk in the, in the righteousness of God. Favor happens when you walk the way that Jesus has asked you to. Favor happens when you stand under the blood and you say, under the blood I shall remain, under the blood I shall live. And God blesses that because it pleases him. I believe that there are people... In this house. As a matter of fact, I know that there are people in this house that this world can touch. I know that there are some of you right here that maybe you didn't know, but this could be your day. There is something that can be said today, but you have to listen and you have to apply it. And what Paul is saying, yeah, you say that you're the church, but once you become saved, there are some old things that have to die off and some new things that have to come into play. God has favor. God, God can open up the windows of heaven and he can pour out as many blessings that we don't have room to receive. But the only thing that's holding them back is us. We're saying stop. We're saying I don't want it. And we say it by the way we live. We say it in our actions. When we decide to do things according to the world system, what we're saying is I'm stepping out of what you have for me and I think I know what's best for me. If you don't believe me, look at Genesis. Here, 
God has given Adam and Eve everything. As a matter of fact, before he even makes them, he spends time crafting this world. He, 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 he thinks to himself, I, I think it would be nice to have a son. And he says, let there be light. And he positions it right where he wants it to be. He, 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 he creates the animals. He, he creates the trees. He, he divides the waters. He divides the sky from the land. And once everything is done, then does he say, let me bring man into this world. Did you know that the world was our gift? Did you know that this entire thing that God created it was for us. He has given us dominion over the land. He has given us dominion over the animals. When he brings Adam into the garden, what he says is all this is yours. The trees already had fruit on them. The land was already cultivated. Listen, I promise I'm going somewhere. The land was already cultivated. When he saw that he was lonely, he brought him a helpmate. He was doing all of this stuff for Adam. But what you have to understand is that during the same time, Adam also walked with God. He was caught up in the, he saw God. He saw God for his very glory. But God created mankind so that he may be in a loving relationship with him. How many of you know you can't make somebody love you? If I can jump off topic just for a little bit, there's some of our young ladies in the house that are stressing themselves out trying to make somebody love them. You can't make somebody love you. Was it Keisha Cole who said you need to get if he don't wanna love you the right way, he ain't gonna. It ain't where he's at, it's where he wants to be. If he don't wanna love you, he ain't gonna love you. And you need to. I apologize. Step back. So when God creates mankind, even though he is the all-powerful creator, even though he has created this world, even though all he has to do is think, let there be, and things happen, even though all he has to do is speak and breathe and we are created, he still tells mankind, you choose to love me. You choose to love me. How will we know if we chose to love him unless God gave us another option? So he says, here's the garden. Is it big enough? You've got everything that you need. However, there is this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I want you to stay away from. How many of you know when you really love somebody, you, you, there may be things that you want, there may be things that you want to do, but because you know it bothers them, but because you know that they may be looking out for your best interest because they love you, you stay away from it. He tells them, look, I love you. And yes, this thing is in the garden, but what I'm telling you is I need you to not eat from this tree. But then there was Satan. 
Then there was the tempter who spoke to Eve and, and he ended up influencing her to believe that she was missing out on something. I think our problem is we haven't given God our entire life because we're still holding on to some things of the world that Satan is telling us if you let go, you're going to be missing out. But how many people in the house do know that the devil is a liar? And I say it again, the devil is a liar. And so when he tells Eve that she ought to eat of the fruit, she believed the lie. And so she takes of the fruit and she eats and she says, mm, this is good. And she hands it to her husband, the husband that God gave the command not to take of the fruit. So when he takes of the fruit, in that moment he says, God told me one thing. But my wife says it's okay. God told me one thing. But, but the serpent says we're missing out. God told me one thing. But, but, but the serpent says that God's holding back on us. So what I choose to do is to believe what I think is going to get me gratified. I choose to do what's going to better benefit me and not what the word of God says. Hang on here. So when they take the fruit, they have disobeyed God, and that is where sin enters the world. Not only is he an all-powerful God, not only is he an all-knowing God, he is a holy and a righteous God that can have nothing to do with sin. That's where sin enters the world, but I say that's also where mercy enters the world. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. Did you know that the wages of sin is death? So the moment that they took of the fruit, God had every right to kill them and say, you know what? That just didn't work out. But he didn't. But what he did do was say, I gave you a choice and you chose to live outside of my system. So now I'm taking you out the garden. I'm not going to kill you, but where once the fruit already, the trees already had fruit on them, you're going to learn to cultivate the land. And if you want to eat, you better plant some seeds. And you better wait until the tree grows and produces some fruit. Oh, you want to eat, you got to go out and work. And you have to kill the animal. And you have to bring the animal back home. You have to skin it. You got to cook it. You have, woman, you shall experience the pain of childbirth. Now, yeah, yeah, he, he gave us everything. But because we decided to operate out of our own system, now we have to work for it. I'm saying all that to say God's favor exists. God still has the best interest of you in mind. He still wants to give you everything that you need. But when every day you get up and you make a decision not to operate in his system, then you are opting to step out of the garden just like Adam and Eve did. You're saying to him, I don't want your favor because I truly believe that something in the world has something better for me than what's right here in the church. For those of you that want to change that, and I believe that there are people here, there are four points that I want to give you very quickly, four kind of metrics, if you will, where we can go through the Bible and see how is it that once we step out of the garden, how do we get back? 
How do we get back in this position of favor? If you can give us Exodus, please. She's going to be reading from Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this, these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any garments. For the Lord said, had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Stop now right take there. off. Can you give us that stiff-necked verse one more time? Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. All right. We're going to pause right there. Understand, here we have the children of Israel, people who have been deemed God's chosen people, and he has already delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh. Now, he promises them a land that flows with milk and honey. And because God does not renege on his promise, now that they still decide that they don't want to get with his system, he says, okay, tell you what, you can still get the land. Keep going, and I will let you enter the land flowing with milk and honey. But since you continue to tell me that you don't want me to walk with you and you tell me because of the way you act, I'm not going to go with you. And because, to be honest, if I go with you, I just might kill you on the way because I can't take it. Are there some people that you can't take a road trip with? Are there some people in your life that you can't be stuck in the same room with too long? I know there is because there's some people in this house that you can't sit next to. We got sister so-and-so who got to sit up here so she don't bother brother so-and-so sitting back there because if they cross their paths, they just might get into it. And what God is saying, if you keep acting the way you do, to be honest, if I walk with you, you ain't going to make it. So I'm going to withdraw myself from you, and I'm going to let you continue to walk to get to the land flowing with milk and honey. You might think that this would be okay with the people because they're still getting the promise right. They're still getting to go into the land, but God is saying, I'm not going to walk with you. But watch what happens. Hmm. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitched it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of camp, outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people arose and stood at the entrance of their tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance of their tent. 
The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaking to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joseph, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Why did he say that again? What did Moses ask him? If you have found what? If you have found favor hmm. with me, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Okay. First point that I really want you to know, you can write it down if you want. Favor is the reward of them that diligently seek him. Favor is the reward of them that diligently seek him. For Moses... It was not enough that he could go into the land flowing with milk and honey. As a matter of fact, what the Bible was saying is that he would carry a tent with them wherever that they would go. And when the time would come, he would pitch the tent so that he would always have a meeting place with God. And then God would actually speak with him as a friend talking to another friend. And what Moses is saying is, Lord, you have told us that we can go, but you're not going to go with us. But I'm telling you, I don't want to go. I don't want to take another step unless you walk with me. We don't want to go unless your hand is on us. If we are your people and if you are pleased with me, how will people know unless you anoint me? How will people know unless you show favor? How will people know unless you go with me? People ought to be able to look at you and see the anointing. People ought to be able to look at you and see that God is with you. People ought to be able to look at you and see God's favor on you. And what Moses is saying is, I don't want to step outside of anywhere you're not going to be because when people see me they need to be scared they need to know that God's got my back when people see me they need to know that God has anointed me when people see me they need to see God's favor on me look for that moment he wasn't interested in the land flowing with milk and honey he wasn't interested in the promise his only interest was you have to go with me the reason I said what I said earlier about people who may be saved, but really not, I think there are a whole lot of people, especially in America where we do things just for our own personal gain. There are a whole lot of people who come here every Sunday morning who may even read the Bible out of hope simply to get to heaven. You ought not be saved to get to heaven. Moses wasn't interested in the promised land at that moment. He was more so interested in rectifying his relationship with God. And he says, if I am out of place, if I am not doing what you created me to do, then go ahead and teach me your ways. I don't know it all. Teach me your ways so that I may please you, so that you may walk with me. My choice to be saved is me saying, you know what? This life is not mine. And if I do things that are not pleasing to you, then teach me your ways. Kill the old things. Create in me a new heart that I may serve you, that I may know you, that 
I may do the things that you want me to do. And as a reward of that, God says, if you really want to know me, if you spend time on this side seeking my face, then not only will I reward you on this side, but I got something even better for you. When you die, I will invite you into my kingdom where you can see me in all of my glory. And it's going to take an eternity for you to understand my glory as you see that it goes from glory to glory to glory to glory and that's why it takes an eternity in heaven if heaven is a gift from us gifted out of grace and grace is unmerited favor favor is a result of heaven but I didn't get saved to go to heaven I got saved because I had a taste of Jesus Christ and I liked what I tasted and I wanted to spend some more time with him oh he showed me a little bit and I said Jesus I like what I see give me a little bit more take the whatever inside of me that is not of you remove it out of the way so that you can enter into my heart and we can start a new life together. Can you get ready for Philippians? Now the second point you have to understand is now that you have started this life, now that you say you seek Jesus Christ, the second thing you have to understand is you have to decrease in yourself. You have to mature in him so that you may increase in favor. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Hold on. Just that verse is powerful alone. Whatever things, what? Gains. Were gained to me, I counted loss. What is he talking about? There are things in this world that are good to you. There are things in this world that are good to you on this side. Things like sex. Things like drugs. Things like lying to get ahead. Things like taking what's not yours. Things like free will. Doing what I want to do. When I want to do it. And if you ask me why, it's simply because... It's what I want to do. You can do that in this world. As a matter of fact, in America, the land of the free, we encourage you to do what you want to do. We only say, don't lose your mind with it and break the law. You might end up in jail. But hey, if that's what you want to do, do that too. And spend time in jail. Do what you want to do. Paul says, there are some things that I would like to do. Things that any normal person says I ought to be able to do because I'm a grown man and I should do what I want to do. But the definition of sacrifice is being able to do, but choosing not to for the sake of my relationship with Jesus Christ. So what Paul says is, even though there are things I want to do, if Christ doesn't want me to do it, then I have lost those things. I got saved in April 16th, 2000. Good grief. What is that, 11 years ago? Now, anybody who knows me, 
I got a couple of people I used to work with here. I got people who know me outside of church. Some of y'all that know me in church. You can look in the past 11 years and not always see that my life lined up with what Christ's life is. The life that he lived was not the life that I lived. And what I have realized is this thing is a walk. And the closer I get to Jesus Christ, the more he says to me, look, you need to go back and spend some time in Philippians chapter 3. Because, yeah, according to the world, they say, David, you are right. David, you can do what you want to do. David, if that's what you want, go get it. David, if that pleases you, do it. Even though I hear that from everybody else in the world, God says, if I said no, then those are things that are gained to you that you need to step back from and lose them on account of gaining me. Continue. <laughs> what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or the world, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his suffering because like him, Becoming like him in his death, and so somehow obtaining to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. He says, I want to know him. As a matter of fact, I want to participate in the sufferings and the likeness of his death so that I may participate in the resurrection. You can't get new life. Oh, come on. Come on. It would have been impossible for Jesus to be raised from the dead lest he was killed. You can't, Lazarus could not have been raised from the dead unless he was first dead. I'm going somewhere with this too, I promise. You can't start a new life with Christ unless the old life is dead. Some of y'all are really upset because you want the blessings of God to be evident in your life. You want the favor of God to be so high in your life, but you don't want to let this old life die because the favor happens as a result of salvation, which is me participating in his death. Did you know that if Jesus went to the cross and Jesus is alive in you, then there ought to be some things that you used to do that you don't do anymore because those things went to the cross? Did you know that if Jesus spent three days in the grave, there had ought to have been a time that after you got saved, you spent 
time studying his word, really getting to know this new life that you have now proclaimed, really getting to understand this new walk that you were taking. But if Jesus rose on the third day, having all power in his hand, thank you, Holy Ghost, then there ought to have been a time after salvation where you start walking in the power that he has given you in this new life. People ought to be able to look at you and say he just doesn't look the way he looks before. I don't understand, but he just doesn't do the things that he used to do. Uh, we used to go to this club every weekend, and now he's telling me he can't go. I don't understand. We used to puff, puff, pass. And as a matter of fact, he was the one always hugging. I had to remind him, it's two puffs and pass, not three puffs and pass. But now he don't even want to have one puff. I don't understand. We used to go out and we used to drink together. We, uh, we used to get toe up. As he was asleep on the lawn one day. Didn't even realize how he got there. But now I passed him a shot and he told me he can't take it anymore. I don't understand why. Because there were some things in my life. There were some things that I used to do. And I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. But I believe in a personal relationship with Christ. And if he has told you that he wants you to stop drinking because it's getting in the way of you and your relationship with him, there ought to be some things that you're willing to let go so that you can have a better relationship with him. Your friends may say, it's okay. It's 2011. Everybody, you have to taste it before you buy it. Even Walmart give you a sample before they sell you a product. So if you dating this person and you think that it might get serious, it's all right to sleep with them before. You think you love them? Did you at least make it to the third date? Yeah, I feel you. Isn't it funny how the standard keeps getting lower and lower and lower? It used to be no sex before marriage, but now some people say it's just no sex before a serious commitment. It, it used to be then no sex before a serious commitment, but now it's no sex before we've been dating for a few months. And it used to be no sex before a few months, and now it's, well, you at least got to have a third date. It used to be no sex before the third date, but now it's, you know what, I got that feeling. Let me put in a phone call, and you ain't even got to take me to dinner. Just show up at my house and be out by now. from the program. The problem with us now is we got this people telling us if you do it this way, it's okay. But these people say if you do it this way, it's okay. But God says, I wrote a book. And all you got to do is read the book. Where you at? Like you don't know what to do. It's in the book. It's in the book. Don't take my word for it. It's in the book. Oh. 
Here's the problem. Some of y'all don't like what I got to say. Thank you, Jesus. Let me get three people. So for the people who will be listening to this on tape, use your imagination. Come on. Come on. Uncle Kenny grabbed his right arm. Grab his left arm. Okay. Face you this way. You let go. <laughs> no, come here. <laughs> it's like choreography. <sighs> come here. Grab his arm. If pastor wants to walk this way, but they don't let him, hold him back. This is the picture that we all so often see. We think that God has this life for us where favor is over here and pastor thinks that he should be able to walk in it, but there are some things that are holding him back. That's the picture we see, correct? What if, let him go, grab them. What if the baggage isn't holding on to you? This is just a hypothesis. This is just my guess. I firmly believe it may have just been me. I firmly believe that some of us are missing out on the best that God has for us. Not because Satan got a hold on you. He went off to the next person. You still holding on to him. to realize he said David haven't I done enough haven't I been good these past 11 years and then haven't I opened your eyes to see where my grace and my mercy was even in effect before you came to know me but yet you still hold on to some stuff because we still hear the voice of the serpent this is the one thing to my brothers and sisters, to the people here that do not know Christ. Listen to what I'm saying. Ask yourself, do you hear the voice of the serpent? I know for myself, the things that I wanted to hold on to is because, number one, yeah, it's me. This is me. God made me this way. And I enjoy all this stuff. I enjoy the things that I do. And I like the things that I do. But God says no. God says no. Well, if I let go of this, what will I have? In the text, did he not say that it's through faith? You have to believe that God's got the best for you. You have to believe that if you let go of this thing, that he's got something better for you. There are some people that's in a relationship that they ought not be in. You're dealing with a man that ain't no good, can barely keep a job. And then when you get a job, he's trying to hold you back. He wants to use your car that you got to use to get to work. 
He wants the money that you worked hard for so he can go out and do the things that he wants to do. You can't save no money. You can't go nowhere in life because he's holding you back. But the reason you're in the relationship is because having a no good man is better than having no man at all. We got some fellas that won't get into a relationship because I got to be a free body. I got to be able to do what I need to do and can't no female hold me down. So I am having six or seven girls that's opening their legs to who knows, God knows who, is better than having one girl or better than having no girl at all. Hmm. God says, now I know you want companionship. God says to the lady, I know you want somebody to wake up and, and you nestled between his strong arms. I know that's your dream. I know that you want somebody who can whisper sweet nothings in your ear and make you feel good. So when you come home from work, you're not coming home to a cold, empty house but you're coming home to somebody who's there. But maybe God is saying, I want you to wake up and feel yourself nestled in my arms first. I want you to get comfortable in me whispering sweet nothings in your ear. Correction, I won't ever whisper sweet nothings in your ear because everything that I got to tell you is something and you can take it to the bank my word, you can depend on. If I say I'm going to pick you up at 8, I'll be there at 745. And, and you can count on it. If I say that you're going to get it, you can best believe that not only are you going to get it, you're going to get it tenfold. You can take my word to the bank. He says, I know you want somebody that you can come home to. Baby, you can take me to work with you. I'll meet you in the bathroom. I'll meet you in the car. I'll be there before you get there. I have the house anointed before you get home. I had to get comfortable knowing that you know, I really want somebody. I don't want to be alone, but God says, take me first. Let me be enough. I said all that to say, if that's you holding on to somebody that you know ain't no good, holding on, chasing six or seven people that neither one of them is wifey potential, chasing all this stuff. God says, what happened to just being satisfied with me? And then pastor did you one better. He said last week, if I did it for somebody else, don't hate on them. Everybody else is getting married and I always play the bridesmaid. Don't get upset because if God did it for somebody else, he will do it for you. God looked at Adam and he saw that he was lonely and he put him to sleep and he spent time crafting him a mate. Maybe it's not that you can't find somebody. Maybe it's God says, I want you to stop looking for somebody and let me put you to rest so I can spend time 
developing this person so I can spend time getting them to the place that I want them to be. So by the time I walk her to you, so by the time I bring him to you, you can look at him and you'll be ready to start a life together. But all in all, it remains a choice. That's your third point. Favor is a choice. Salvation is a choice. But why would I want to get saved if I come to the house and I see quote-unquote saved folks? And their life ain't no better than mine. I firmly believe there's some people sitting out there that don't believe in God's favor. Because I look at the people who say they are the righteousness of God. And I don't see anything working on them. So before I say, now is the day of salvation... Let me speak to my saved folk real quick and say now is the time of God's favor. I believe that there are some people who truly are saved but never made the decision to mature in him. I can look at my own life. When I stop reading the Bible daily, when I stop seeking after him, I'm still saved. The Israelites were still his chosen people. But when they stopped doing the things, when they stopped seeking after him, God had to withdraw himself from them so that they would realize what they were missing. There have been some times that God has withdrawn himself, not completely because I'm still alive, but he pulled back just enough so me, I could say, what's going on? I, I don't think that I deserve anything, but I am the righteousness of God. And he said that I am the head and not the tail. He said that I am the lender, not the borrower. But where did he say it? He said it in Deuteronomy. And if you read Deuteronomy, he also says many blessings I want to give you, but it's contingent upon what? Your obedience. Your obedience. So often he says, David, this is what I want to give you. David, this is what I have for you. Today, I set before you blessings and curses, but it's your choice. I'm trying to encourage some people that right now, if you have given your life to Christ, there are some things that you ought to just let go. Because if you do this enough, let it go, it'll be easier to turn your hands around and receive what God has for you. You got to have an empty house first. Let him move in the furniture. You got to have an empty heart first. Let him send your loved one. Let him send the blessings. Let him send the favor. I've realized that all God really wants me to do is seek him and then press cruise control because he works things out for me. Maybe I'm the only one who's experienced God's favor. 
but I know what it is to have multiple jobs on your resume at only 22 years old. Yeah, multiple positions. But if you look at my resume, you will never see a bridge of unemployment. I know what it is to stop a job on Friday for whatever reason, but have two more jobs on Monday. I know what it is. Now, that's just my story where God's working it out. But I heard that somebody knows what it is to be on unemployment. But never miss a meal. Always have a place to lay their head at night and never be worried. As a matter of fact, it was the man on unemployment lending money to the people that got jobs. Why? Because God got his back. I know that there's people in the house who were laid up in a hospital bed where the doctor was pacing back and forth. The doctor was saying, I don't know what to do. The doctor was scratching his head. The doctor said, I'm ready to give up. But the person laying up in the hospital bed was just cool. Was saying, what you worried about? I don't know why y'all making all this ruckus because I know in whom I believe and I know that he's a great physician. I experienced him as a mighty doctor. And when you got up and you walked out of that hospital room, doctors, were shaking their head. You think I'm playing? Wasn't there a woman that pastor said you should have been in the hospital? Or maybe you should be convalescing at home, but you had to correct him and say, I'm still here. Why? Because God got favor on his people. We've seen people come up here and testify. We've seen people come up here with cancer, but the doctor took a second look and the cancer was gone. We've seen people come up here where the doctor said that you ought not be able to speak anymore. But Sister Harper, do you sing every Sunday? Can you give us a little bit about amazing grace? Amazing grace? Whoa. And we can hear her voice. Why? Because the doctor said one thing. But God said, that's my child. And I'm not through with her yet. And I got to give her something to prove the doctor's wrong. Sometimes, like Pastor preached last week, he will put you in a pit experience. He will let you go through some things. Yeah, I got God's favor. And you might see me in the unemployment line. You might see me going through. You might see me needing a car. But now I've come to a point in my life that when things hit me that I didn't expect, I just sit back. And I say, perhaps God has a plan for me. If I lost this job, let me not stress. Because perhaps there's a better job on its way. Just recently, I was glad to share with you all that I had the opportunity to go up and dance with the Dayton Contemporary Dance Company for a job. But for whatever reason, the director halfway through the season cut all the men. That's why I'm back here in Cincinnati every day. But I tell you what, I was a little distressed because I really liked that company. But not five days later, I didn't seek them out. They called me. A company here in Cincinnati offered me a paying job to dance with them. Can't get upset when God taketh away because maybe he just wanted to make room to give. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Started off better than where I was. Here's the last point. I said all that to say, we overcome by word of testimony. 
My brothers and sisters, if you don't know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I implore you this day to taste for yourself and see that the Lord, he is good. He prepareth a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I can sit, come hell. I can sit, come hot water. I can sit, come the storm. Sit at the table that he prepares for me in the midst of my enemies because I know that God's got my back. I think there are two types of people that need to hear this. People who are trying to do this on your own. You serve an all-powerful God. You serve an all-powerful God. And there's somebody who's dealing with some things right now. Some real-life stuff, some real-life strongholds, a real-life sickness, something that you don't want to let go of or something that has its hand on you. But I tell you, Jesus spoke these words to you today. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. My yoke is light. He says, take it. I will carry your bags for you. I will carry your burdens for you. As a matter of fact, I'll carry you. All you have to do is stay in my arms. If that's you, let it go. There are some safe folk in the house who really want to mature, who really want to know about this favor that I'm talking about. But there are some things that you have been afraid to to let go of. There's been some things that you have been wrestling with, perhaps since you were born, that you don't want to let go of. Because you don't know what the other side is. But I'm a witness to tell you that if God says, let go, it's only because his favor is sufficient. His favor is more than enough. His favor is more than abundant to supplement that thing that you're letting go of. He'll walk with you. He'll be your mama. He'll be your daddy. He'll be your financial advisor. He'll be your lawyer. He'll be your doctor. He'll be everything that you need him to be. But first, he wants you to let go. Is there anybody in the house that wants to receive God's favor? Is there anybody in the house that wants to receive the favor of God. It's too quiet in here to be talking about favor. It's too quiet in here to be talking about grace and mercy. You ain't even got to turn to it because I think you know it. What's Romans chapter 6, verse 23? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Christ Jesus Can you say that one more time? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I lied. Can you say it one more time? (laughs) For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We've been having a good service, and Pastor prayed that the spirit would go up after the singing and not down. Well, if there's anybody in here that was waiting on me to say something that you could shout on, 
If there's anybody in here that was waiting on me to say something that would just knock your socks off, you can get up on your feet and you can praise God. I got two words for you. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Mercy that said the wages of sin is death. Mercy that said, David, you just nasty and you ought not be here today. Mercy that said, I should have killed you the first time. But grace that said, the gift of God is eternal life. Grace that says it's a gift, which means that I did nothing to deserve it. But he looked at me and for whatever reason, he decided to pass it off. Grace that says, C.S. Lewis wrote, it was as if I was the deer and he was the hunter and he sought me out and he caught me. Grace that says I was going along like Paul on the road to Damascus doing the things that I wanted to do, doing the things that only interested me. But one day Christ showed up in my life with a bright light that said I have another place for you to go. Am I the only person? in the house that can do a stomp on grace and mercy? Am I the only person in the house that can raise my hand on grace and mercy? If anybody else has experienced grace and mercy, let me hear you praise his name. If anybody else has experienced the love, the favor, the joy, the peace, the rest of Jesus Christ, Show some of these other folks 